Welcome back, everybody, into Bill's Chat on the Built-In Buffalo Podcast Network. This is Josh. With me, as always, is Luca. Luca, how are you doing tonight? It's good to be back and talking about a win and everything like that. It feels like it's been so long because it kind of has been, but um, it was a good day of football and everything like that in the world of sports and whatnot. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to be relaxed and enjoying this time that we're sitting here while, you know, recording this due to a fun, somewhat relaxing win by the Bills today. And thank goodness for that. It was tense early. I mean, there were some moments in the first quarter where you really wondered if everything that went into this game actually getting off the ground had gotten to the Bills, but we'll get into all of that. But as we do on our post-game Bills chat show, I always like to start it off just by taking the temperature of how you felt. So when this game ended and the Bills completed their 31-23 to victory over the Cleveland Browns today to improve to 7-3 and in Detroit, what were you feeling? Um, ah, re- joy. Um, it seemed like a win that was, of course, as we'll dive into in the second half where it got more and more comfortable as the game was going. But as you mentioned and hinted there, like early on, of course, it, it was a little bit uneasy and you really didn't know where, especially in the first quarter alone, like it was just, you didn't know where this day was headed. Luckily it headed to the direction that we were, you know, finishing in. And yeah, when the game was over, it was joy, a sigh of relief, relaxation. I, you know, high fives went around in my living room and stuff. And it was like, I I looked over at my one friend, uh, Goff, and I just told him, I was like, Hey man, feels good to win again. It feels too long. And he he just, you know, kind of big exhale and just agreed, you know, just looked at me as like, yeah, definitely. Like it just, it was a win today that we talked about it on our live show built in Buffalo live where this was one that I was looking forward to, but looking very closely at because is this going to be the game where we can get out with a win, especially with a lot of adversity and stuff throughout the week to turn the season back around in the direction that we had hoped it to be in after these past couple of weeks where we've had heartbreaking. I mean, that's what they've been, right? Heartbreaking losses. Can now that be the turning point and this game be the one that gets us back on track? And at, you know, Final whistle goes that last kneel down. That's exactly what I felt like this this game was. That's re- that's immediately where my head was at. Just relax, joy, and thank goodness we kind of seemingly at this point got it back on track and in the direction we needed to go. Yeah. So I think I still have a little bit of pain left over from the Vikings game because as this game was winding down, and at one point the Bills had it to a three possession lead. There was still part of me, it was 31 to 16. No, that would only be a two possession game. One second. Um, it was enough where there were, the Bills hit a field goal near the end that put them up. I want to, oh, 28 to 10. That's where it was. Excuse me. 28 to 10. The Bills got it to three possessions. And it wasn't until that happened that I really took a sigh in, of relief because I think I was still hurt from the fact that they had a double digit lead against the Jets. They had a double digit lead, a three possession lead at one point against the Vikings and lost. And then when you saw the Browns go down and score touchdowns on back-to-back drives to get this game within one touchdown, granted one of them came with like 20 seconds left in the game. So really they needed an onside kick and a Hail Mary at that point. I was just so happy when this game ended because all afternoon long, I for some reason I just I wasn't overly confident And I don't know 
if that's more so to do with what happened against the Vikings and what happened against the Jets or just maybe how the game started because, and let's start there. There was a lot of angst on Bill's Twitter, I noticed. And I'm guessing that sometimes that can reflect how Bill's fans were feeling. That's our exposure to Bill's fans during the game, except for the fact that you had people in your living room. But when the Browns go down and they score a touchdown right off the bat, first drive, boom, 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 two third and long conversions, Amari Cooper dunks on Taron Johnson in the end zone. And then the Bills come out for their first drive and three and out. And there's even like a situation where Moore snaps the ball to Allen when he's not ready for it. The Bills just could not have looked less prepared to start this game. My mind was starting to think, oh man, like we were so happy that they got to Detroit and they were able to get these guys out of their snowed in houses and get to the airport and all that. And you forget about the fact like they didn't practice all week and how much energy did these guys even spend like shoveling themselves out of their driveway? Because that is a real thing, even though it sounds really silly. And there was a point in the first quarter, Luca, where I was thinking, man, this team looks gassed and it's only the first quarter. Did you have that reaction early on in the game? Did you think it was just natural or normal football sloppiness? Or was your brain where my brain was at? Like, man, this team was was just not prepared or not ready to start a football game right then. Trust me, first and foremost, I know very well about how gassing and tiring it can be to clear a driveway full of snow. Luckily, I am not in the heart of the issue that was here this past weekend, but there was still enough up here in the North Towns, especially it came surprisingly Saturday night uh, for the most part, where this morning I, I woke up bright and early, looked at my driveway and I was like, God damn it. I got to do one whole more round on my driveway and sidewalk to clear it. And, uh, slips and slides a little bit there. Cause it was a little slick on the concrete for whatever reason. And I was sweating walking back inside, but you know, I digress. I was kind of with you, although I didn't really think about that. I will say until I saw notifications coming in due to your wonderful job tweeting during games, Josh, just shout out to you where I saw likes coming in on a tweet where you had said that. And I was like, yeah, you know, it, that fits the bill that really, it kind of makes sense because you almost because it's game day and the kickoff happens and and things are happening live you forget what led to that moment in time just because you're watching the product and watching the end result of that week in front of you totally disregarding any injury reports that came out anything else that's going on until you start to analyze it from an outsider and just think about all those different variables and i think that played a huge role in it i mean the uneasiness of the week you know the one report came in and we've known this all week but Allen, until he was cleared out of his driveway, thanks to his neighbors who got a wonderful shout out on the broadcast, cleared him out. He was unsure if he was going to be able to make it to the game still to that point. And that's got to be something that it's not a stress that you would imagine that players have to deal with on a regular basis. And it's it it plays an account. It plays its role in this whole week. There was no practices. There was an illness that was cutting through the entire locker room. Everything that happened, they weren't really able to do one day of regular routine practice. And yet they still somehow got to Detroit the day before, managed to warm up and get out there for opening kickoff as if nothing happened, essentially. And yeah, a little bit of sluggishness, a little bit of um, sloppiness, whatever else you want to call it. It looked like a team that basically hasn't done anything together all week. They haven't physically been in each other's presence entirely all week, which is a fact. And 
once they started to get their feet under them, once they started to remember, you know, who they are essentially and what they're capable of and get kind of warmed up into that game, you could see the difference. It was night and day. So it's, I can understand why fans were uneasy. I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't. It was just one of those ones where it's like, okay, can they just work themselves out of it? Because you also mentioned too, where you had seen them have double digit leads against the Jets and against the Vikings. Well, in those games, those were coming out hot and really getting on top of it early. And this one was entirely different. I think that's also just to call it back real quick, why I may have been a little bit different than you or a lot of people in this matter, where as soon as I saw the Bills go up 18 points, I was fairly comfortable only because they were working hard and they had a good momentum. Momentum, I just did it. (laughs) Momentum going into that 18 point lead finally in the second half, rather than it being coming out the gates hot and really being comfortable early on in those scripted plays and everything else is going well, where there's a lot of time on the back end for things to maybe mess up, which then these past couple of weeks we have seen. This was an entirely different beast. This was coming out a little bit sloppy, not sure what's going on. And we saw a team that, as we were discussing right now, had not practiced all week together. And then once they got their feet under them, once they were starting to really get on a roll and understand what they were going to be good at on the day, which we will dive further in. It was, it just seemed like a team that was inevitably going to get out of there with a win. Like that's where I felt, especially at the 18 point lead mark. It was just like, now they're really figuring themselves out. They're comfortable. Everything's going well for them. And there's not a lot of game time left for these Browns to kind of climb back in and get it going again. It was, it was, um, yeah, sloppy early, but Ultimately, I do think primarily that was just due to the craziness of the week and just not being able to have any sort of normal routine for this entire team. Like there's that's the whole thing. We we as fans need to remember athletes are crazy about routines at times and they need that kind of routine schedule and day by day and it to be a regular thing to be comfortable throughout the week going into big games or just going into their regular games for that matter. And when their routine is off and especially skewed in a way where it's just borderline craziness, I can understand and I can relate. I think any person should be able to relate when all of a sudden crap's hitting the fan and you really don't know what's going on anymore. Your head might not be entirely there in the moment where you really need to be focused and ready to go. So that's where I kind of feel this team was early on. And that's why you saw what you saw and say the first quarter and a half. One thing that I know you take pride in and I know I take pride in is we produce Bill's content. And as Bill's content creators, we do our best to stay neutral. I mean, we're rooting for the Bills to win, but we're not going to tell you something's great when it's obviously not great. So I think you and I both try to do our best to not put positive spins on things that don't deserve positive spins. And we're going to tell you like it is. So what I'm going to say right now probably sounds like quote unquote, typical content creator speak, trying to fluff up the Bills, but this is just truly how I feel. I am choosing to stand in a spot today where I am just proud of this team, proud of this organization, and honestly proud of the Buffalo community, everybody who pitched in to make sure that this team could get to Detroit to get this game off today. Was this game a masterpiece? Absolutely not. Were there things in this game that we're going to talk about on this show that they could have done better or would be concerning if they were playing a better team than the Browns? Absolutely. Did guys like Allen and Diggs have their best games as Bills? Certainly not. This team had a five foot snow dropped on their head all week 
They had to get out of Dodge, get to Detroit. They thought went from thinking they're going to be playing a home game in Buffalo to how are you going to dig yourself out of five feet of snow and get to Detroit? A lot of these guys are leaving families, wives, children behind with that snow on their house to get to Detroit. There's no practices. They're dealing with the illnesses that Luca talked about that at least stretched to five different guys that we know of. And they got to Detroit. Who knows what they were like as far as their mentals? Who knows what they were like as far as their physical? They won a football game. That's all that matters. I am super proud of this team. And at the end of the day, they had to get a win. There was no scenario today where the Bills could have lost to the three and six Browns. And we could have been like, well, X, Y, Z happened. It's okay. Let's move forward. They had to get this to the win column and they got there. And I'm choosing to be very proud of this team because there were a lot of excuses that could have been built into today. There was a lot of reason for this team to maybe question themselves or say, hey, it's just not meant to be, especially when the game starts off kind of rocky early. But that's where I'm choosing to stand on this. And before we start diving into offenses and defensive success, I'm going to give you a chance to speak on this too, Luca, because I think it's important to remember, as Von Miller says, the season is like an album where each week is like its own track on an album. You don't have to put out a headliner song every week. It's just wins and losses, wins and losses. The way the Bills played today, could they go into Arrowhead and beat the Chiefs? No, they weren't playing the Chiefs in Arrowhead today. They were playing the Browns in Detroit today. It was good enough to beat the Browns in Detroit. Let's also remember it's mid-November. We'll see where the Bills are at in January. But for today, I'm choosing to be extremely proud of everybody that had their hands in the Bills getting to Detroit and getting a win on a, in a week where it seemed like they could have had plenty of reasons not to. Yeah, that's Josh. So well put. That's exactly right. Like this was a game you had to win and it's look, we always want it to be flashy. We always want it to be awesome and amazing looking and in Josh's rolling and the run games good and the defense is just stellar cover to cover. But as Von Miller put, as you just reiterated, this doesn't the season as a whole, the regular National Football League season is not a cover to cover album that you just you put it in and you just hit play for anyone that understands what a CD is or anything like that. You know, if you don't younger than I can imagine, it's just there's there's going to be some misses there on an album. And this is one where it, I, you know, if we want to stick with that analogy, Josh, this is one where it's like you never hit skip because it's enjoyable enough. But it's not anything that gets you wanting to search it on Spotify or something to listen at a later point, right? If you're listening to an album cover to cover, it's one you're not going to skip and you just let it roll through. But at the same time, you're not seeking out this song and making sure your friends know about it or anything like that. A win's a win. And wins are hard to get in this league. And you'll take them however you get them. And honestly, I will say from my perspective, I was actually very satisfied with this game entirely. Like I... I know it wasn't pretty, especially early on, but the nature of the win as it progressed throughout the game, I am very happy about. I really like a lot about this game where it may not be as flashy of a game and as of a win that we've had previously this season, but this is one that I really think as a team, they can look back at and look at the successes of this game and really build a lot from and probably more from this game than a lot of the other wins that have come prior to this. This is one that can really 
unlock some certain things about this team so that when they do get back on all cylinders, when they, you know, when Josh Allen's arm is back to a hundred percent, because I would imagine at this point, even though he said today, you know, uh, they reported today, at least that he feels a lot better about it. It's, it's clearly not a hundred percent. I would imagine when he gets more comfortable, when his arm is back to nearly a hundred percent, when Diggs is back on, because for whatever reason, he wasn't a major part of the game plan today. You know, when all of those things are clicking on top of what was successful today, I mean, this is the kind of team that I feel like a lot of us pictured being where it's success from top to bottom and or at least in most facets of it. And yes, it started out slow, but I think the slow start, as we've already highlighted here, was more about things off the field than anything else. And it's just hard to overcome that and just be able to be mentally locked in and ready to go with everything that had transpired, at least in the previous, we'll call it 72 hours, especially so you know, tip the cap to the bills, everything like that. Incredible win considering everything that went into it this week. And also on the field, there's a lot of great things to discuss and I cannot wait for us to jump into it right now. I think the thing that we've all gotten in the habit of is we all know how great Josh Allen and Diggs are. So it's so easy for us to equate when they play well and the Bills win, it's a beautiful win. When they don't play well, hey, what's going on? But when you listen to guys like Chris Sims and you listen to analysts like Mina Kimes and Ryan Clark, people that really break down the All-22 and dive into it, the one criticism they've had about the Bills, even over the last two seasons and then still into 2022, is everything is too Josh Allen-centric. Yes, he's great, but what happens on a day that he's off? Or what happens on a day where a defense is just really clued into what he's trying to do? Are there some, is there somebody else on this offense besides Allen and Diggs who can step up and take the game over? So if that is what the bills needed to show granted against the three and six Browns who are now three and seven, they certainly checked that box today. Luca, to me, the story of this game on the positive side for the bills is the running game, but I'm going to let you choose here because I think you could talk about a the running game from the offensive standpoint or B the running game from the defensive standpoint, which one do you want to start with? Because I think both of those sides of the ball dominating the running game is a huge win for where this organization is trying to go. Everyone likes to talk about the offense, but Josh, I would, I would not respect myself if I weren't to, there was one thing that I was saying from the beginning all the way through to the end of this game, and that was the surprise and shock that I had on how much domination the Bills had on the defensive side of the ball in the trenches. We talked about it again on that live show this past Friday, Built in Buffalo Live, that this interior offensive line for the Browns especially, but as a unit entirely, is very good, like very very good. It's it's viewed by a lot of people as a top 10, if not top five offensive line in the league. Their starting center, I believe going into this game, was the number one rated center on PFF. He was definitely top three, I believe. And the guards were both top five in the respective positions as well. Like This was a very, very, very good offensive line. And from the begin, begin, from the beginning to the end, this defensive line and especially on the interior, which just highlights the incredibleness of this, just dominated. They had to push every snap. And as you put it, as how we're going to kind of talk about it and really round this up, the running game 
for the Browns, which should be their absolute strength. And something that, as fans, we highlighted in going, if this is a poor weather game, is a bad time to play the Browns because they have that power run and they're just going to run it down our throats. And that's not something we were feeling good about going into it. Nick Chubb, with a 12-yard run in part of this, mind you, finished the day 14 carries for 19 yards on the ground. You take away one carry for 12 yards. That means he was 13 carries for seven yards. That is insane. Another thing I said on that live show, right, was Nick Chubb is the most guaranteed touchdown in the league, it seems like, at times. He wasn't today. There was not one point in time I honestly believed, maybe one of the, I think he had two catches on the day, because there was one early he broke a decent a bit, a chunk of yards out of, and then another one somewhere. I think one of those catches, he may have been, I was like, oh, who's downfield? And luckily, I think Poyer, someone cleaned him up eventually. Those might have been the moments he got a touchdown on the ground. I never once even had an idea that he was going to break it for a touchdown, which is just crazy to me. Because no matter what, when you watch a Browns game, Nick Chubb getting the ball is probably the best thing they can do for themselves in any facet, whether it's through the air or on the ground, probably most likely on the ground, especially when you have guys like Kareem Hunt or others that they're trying to get the ball through to the air and everything like that. Like, I cannot believe still as we're sitting here, it is currently 943 on the East Coast Sunday night and believe that this Bills team, the one that had just been run on by the Vikings, by the Jets, and definitely by the Packers, as we remember, even in a win, somehow, some way, dominated the line of scrimmage and was able to hold Chubb to a total of 19 yards on the ground. It is just unbelievable and amazing to me. This is one where everything about the defensive line effort, everything about Milano and stuff, also breaking through gap assignment, everything like that. I mean, from an effort of where clearly this defensive game plan was stop Nick Chubb at all costs and just make sure anyone else beats you. Like that was clearly the game plan. There was no chance Nick Chubb was going to beat you. Anyone else can beat you. And I mean, Amari Cooper had a day and I'm assuming that's because the focus was on Nick Chubb primarily on the ground. Um, they did their job. They did it incredibly well. It, I have to bring this up first. I mean, I have to talk. We have to talk about this defensive line, especially, but the defensive unit in the front seven, we'll call it against the run, just dominated the line of scrimmage against an incredible offensive line. It did help that their starting center got hurt, unfortunately, and was yeah. out, I think, just before halftime or so. Um, that definitely helps. But still, I feel like if their center's out, they're... <laughs> for being a top five offensive line in the league, their backup guy's probably not half bad. So realistically, like this is one that I think Cleveland is going to be very disappointed, luckily for us, that their offensive line was just not ever able to establish anything and just tip of the cap to that defensive line in the front seven entirely and just to focus on the run to really take that away from Cleveland. And because of that, they never truly felt comfortable in this game outside of that opening drive. And it was just a chef's kiss of a performance from the defense. The Bills' first four drives got the Bills six points. They went three and out, punt, four plays, eight yards for a field goal. And then they went three yard, three plays for negative three yards and a punt before going 11 plays, 44 yards for a field goal. And that ate up the first quarter and a half. And you want to talk about a situation where the Browns had every opportunity to really pull away in this game. The Bills were stuck in the mud or stuck in the snow, if you want to use the right analogy here. 
And the Bills defense really bowed up and held the Browns down. And you saw Daquan Jones and Ed Oliver just living in the backfield today. You saw Matt Milano just looking like a man possessed to the point where after the game, you had Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson talking about how Matt Milano needs to be the defensive player of the year. And their response was, tell me a defensive player playing better than him this year. And on a day when Greg Rousseau, who is their best run-stopping defensive end by a large margin, was out. Tremaine Edmonds, who was very missed today. Um, you know, Tr- Tremaine Edmonds, I think, if you didn't know, now you know. Okay, so Tremaine Edmonds is I don't want to get off on a tangent here, but six, five, 240 pounds. We all, you know, we all saw him drafted thinking, oh, this guy is going to be somebody who just blows up running plays. I think what you're seeing now is his value is in pass coverage. And when he's not in the on the field, the bills are just not the same defense over the middle of the field. And that came out today. But still, he is a plus run defender. And without him, without Rousseau, you needed that defensive line those interior guys like Phillips, like Daquan Jones, like Ed Oliver, in a big matchup, like Luca pointed out, against Batonio and Wyatt Teller, who are two of the best guards in the sport, and they absolutely dominated their matchup. While we're talking about defense, Luca, I do think we have to talk about the negative today, and I think there's got to be some, at least some concerns about the secondary. We all know what Justin Jefferson did last week, and honestly – a Jets offense two weeks ago that until they played the Bills had really not shown an ability to get off the ground. Zach Wilson and Garrett Wilson had a really successful day. Today, Amari Cooper, let me make sure I have the stats right here. He definitely scored twice. I want to make sure that I give him credit for all of the yardage here. 12 targets, eight receptions, 113 yards and two touchdowns. Donovan Peoples-Jones added in five receptions for 61 yards and a touchdown. Now, Luca, you brought up a point that might very well be true. If you're dedicating all of your resources to stopping the run, you're saying, hey, Jacoby Brissett, prove to me you can beat me. When we see the All-22 come out this week, that might very well be the case. I do think that what we saw last week against the Vikings, what we saw today against what is not a super high-powered passing offense in the Browns is at least concerning, although we do all need to keep in mind that Tredavious White and Kair Elam were on the sidelines Where are you at with the Bills cornerback situation? Is it as simple as help is on the way? Or are you at a point where you want to tell me that you still have faith in guys like Dane Jackson and Christian Benford? But I think today was more of a holy cow, Dane Jackson, what are you doing kind of day? Yeah. uh, Yeah. Spoiler alert. Dane Jackson will probably come up later in this episode. But um, this was a slightly concerning day for the secondary. I will say I am definitely in the mindset of there was a f- philosophic difference in what you saw as a defensive unit and game plan today comparatively than what we do normally, right? And what I mean by that is there were other things I noticed with this defense since we're on the subject that I thought to be odd, not necessarily in a bad way, just it was noticeable because of how much they were doing something as well. And that was blitzing, Josh. I noticed a lot of fifth rusher, whether it was one linebacker or sixth rusher with both linebackers, or maybe it was a linebacker in a, you know, it was Taron Johnson out of the slot. There was a lot of uh, heavy pressure uh, coverage sets coming out of us. And naturally, math teaches you if you have your front four rushing, and then you add one or two additional rushers to that, 
that is leaving a lot less people in the back end to cover things. So now you're leaving players such as Dane Jackson and Christian Benford and anyone else back there kind of on their own. And you're just abandoning that and you're just hoping that they can make a player just carry their weight in gold kind of deal. Like just figure it out. And unfortunately, Dane Jackson and Christian Benford as well, my guy, my preseason crush, it's just they're not figuring it out. They, they, at least not today. They, they weren't able to kind of hold their own when isolated. And on one hand, it's disappointing. This is now a theme, especially in Dane's world and stuff with the secondary between, as you pointed out last week and this week, where it's, it's upsetting and it's like, man, this, this stuff shouldn't be killing us as regularly as it does if we're as good of a defense as we you know think we are. But on the other hand, I'm not sitting here and thinking Dane Jackson is a top 32 corner in the league. I, I really don't view Dane Jackson as that. I don't think anyone should. Same goes for Christian Benford. I don't think he's a top 32 corner in the league. Kair Elam, even, I will say, I don't think he's a top 32 corner in the league. What I mean by that, obviously, is there's 32 teams in the league and you have a number one corner for each team. I don't think any of those guys at this point in their career, depending on who we're talking about, is a number one corner for any NFL team at this point in time. That doesn't mean I'm saying Kyger Elam can't be that. That's not even me saying Christian Benford can't be that, although still like we got to remember who he is where he's coming from it's amazing that he is what he is at this point in time to be honest and then as you also just brought up here um our actual number one a one guy who is at this point in time i believe still a top 32 corner in the league is also still on the sideline so you have to almost like take all of these different things and just remember that because when a guy like amari cooper who is almost one of those forgotten number ones in this league, he can still be very, 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 very good. Right? He is a pretty darn good receiver. He isn't a dominant top 10 guy, but he is a good number one receiver in this league and has shown year in, year out that he can be that. I don't know if it's because he's been in Dallas and then when he was younger uh, at the time, the Oakland Raiders, and was doing it on these teams that were a little bit more uh, noteworthy than the Browns, we'll call it. Um, that people just disrespect it now because it's like, oh, we got traded to the Browns, so it's a downgrade, and that just shows why he's not quite there. It's like, no, he can be very productive, and he's not your classic receiver that he needs you to know about it also. Let me just say that. It's kind of something, I'm not a huge Amari Cooper fan, but I don't hate him either, and I respect an individual where it's like, this guy doesn't need to tell you he's the best on his team or anything. He just goes out there and does it pretty much week in, week out. And um the one I will say, too, is they're especially late. Donovan Peoples-Jones' stats, as you pointed out, 61 and a tud on five catches. It was a lot more late in the game. He had a couple catches early on that were definitely key for them. Uh, a couple sideline grabs also. One was late, but one was earlier on that they needed. Um, it was also a homecoming game from him. They highlighted it in the broadcast. Good for him. Just always root for a player in a homecoming game, especially if their family is the first time they got to see him. That's really cool. But regardless... Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't a bum. He's not exactly like in a great receiver either, but he's not a bum. So when you have him on Christian Benford and stuff, it's kind of one of those 50-50 matchups. Like, I really don't know who wins or loses this matchup. I would love it to be Benford winning it every time. It's just sometimes things happen. And when you take all of that and then add in the thing I brought up and you just reiterated again, where there is absolutely a conceded effort for majority of the game, if not the entire game, to just stop the run and focus on 24, Nick Chubb, things are going to happen on the back end, especially when you're, you're committing five, six guys 
on the rush every play. And that was something that was absolutely happening. If, if you didn't recognize that watching this game, I don't know what you're paying attention to. It was very, very noticeable watching it. I mean, early on, I'm like, man, I'm seeing Milano rush or Dodson rush or Milano and Taron Johnson or Dodson and Taron. Like every snap I was watching those three guys between Taron Johnson, Milano and Dodson and seeing which guy they would all, you know, the classic, like, you know, all get up on the line or two of them get up on the line. Sometimes they drop back, but there was generally almost every snap, one of them actually going. And that is something that this defense does not do on a regular occurrence by any means. So there was a philosoph- philosophical idea and change and game plan that they had for this game in particular that they were trying to execute almost to a point where it was putting at risk the thing that their normal defense is better at covering, and that is the pass game. So is what it is. It's a little bit concerning, especially just because the performance of the individuals in that secondary wasn't great beyond Jordan Poyer and DeMar Hamlin. I still thought they did okay, um, especially Poyer. Great to have him back. I mean, there's a reason we're seven and zero with him, and then zero and three without him. But um, overall, a little bit of concern. This is not th- anything I'd freak out over, though. I think personnel coming back with Kyrie and hopefully Trey sooner than later um, will help address and allow us to be able to do if we needed to go back to this style game plan and have better success on the back end. But if we go to this game plan and then that theme continues, even with Kyrie even there and stuff like that then I think there's a there's a problem with that and we just are going to have to abandon the sellout nature of going for the run at this point in time. The good news is help is on the way. We know Greg Rousseau is going to come back, which is going to help the pass rush. We know Tremaine Edmonds is going to come back, which is very much going to help the pass coverage. And then you have your first round pick this year, Kyrie Elam and Tredavious White, who is a former all pro corner coming back that you're going to get to inject into this defense at some point in time. So with that in mind, I feel pretty good about where this defense can be. And I also will say, when you look at the next handful of games for this team, you have Jared Goff, you have Mac Jones, and you have Zach Wilson. So if, if it's still going to be a few weeks on Trey White, or you know maybe Elam's injury is worse than we thought. It sure seemed like he was trending maybe toward playing this week, and then maybe they just held him out a couple extra days to get him ready for Detroit. Who knows? But if there was ever a point in the season where you could afford to maybe be down some of your defensive backs, this would seem to be it because the Lions, you know, the Lions aren't bad. We maybe can talk about that a little bit near the end of the show. But um, the Lions, the Patriots, the Jets, these aren't teams that scare you through the air by any means. Um, let's talk about the Bills offense today. And I'm going to throw you a little curveball just quickly. You don't have you don't really have to justify it. You can just kind of give me a quick answer here. If you were going to give Josh Allen a letter grade for today on the old A to F scale, where where would you grade Josh Allen's day today for the Bills? Ooh, that is a question I did not expect. <laughs> sure. Um, off the top of my head, I'd probably go with a. Okay, I'll tell you where my head is balancing because I don't really know where to fall on this, and it's a C plus or a B minus. It's right around there. And it's not necessarily because I thought there were uh, notable issues with this game. It's just there was nothing special about it either. I can't remember trying to sit here and think while we're talking about this. I can't remember one play, honestly, one play from this game right now that I was like, only Josh Allen can do that. 
And I'm not doing that again to disrespect him. I just think we didn't need him. We didn't need him to be that guy today. And there's something awesome about that in a weird way. But at the same time, it's it's there's nothing disappointing about anything. I'm almost happy to say I think it was either a C plus or a B minus because that just tells me everyone else around him finally stepped the F up. And that's great, great to see. Um, yeah, uh, I'm trying to give you a final grade here. Um, let's go with B minus only because it was in a win and an efficient win at that. Uh, there were definitely a couple of throws that I think he would like to get back or just the plays didn't work out. Um, there was one pitch and catch. I can remember that I was just like, look, Josh, you should probably do that in your sleep. And you just missed it. Mm -hmm. It was something to his left. He took the snap, just, you know, two shuffled stepped over to his left and then just should have hit it. And it just, it wasn't even close. I think it was earlier in the game too. So it's like one of those things that I bet you if they had a week of practice, <laughs> it would probably, he would have been in a better, better mindset or rhythm or whatever you want to call it that, um, he would have hit that. But outside of that, I mean, we just didn't need him to be Superman. We didn't need him to be the Josh Allen. We know he can be, we just needed him to, you know, not screw the game up either. And luckily for us, Josh Allen can be a guy who doesn't screw up the game and just does what he can to make sure this offense can be productive and get a win at the end of the day. And for that, I will go B minus. And that's the key to me because there were some throws early on in this game where he was off and it could be a timing issue where they didn't practice. It could be an issue where he still has an elbow injury or it could be an issue where he was just having a bad day. None of us will ever know the answer to that, but he was high on a couple of short passes. Um, there's going to be a play that does show up on all 22 later this week where he missed a wide open digs downfield and instead checked it down to, to Knox. But what I want to give him credit for is understanding how the game was going. And once the Bills were able to establish the fact that they can run on these guys, and once the Bills were able to establish the fact that their their defense could really shut down the Browns and it was going to be a situation where we didn't have to worry about Nick Chubb going on 12-minute drives, four yards a carry, and the Bills' offense was going to have a limited possession, I'm going to give Josh Allen credit for the fact that he probably had this internal battle with himself of, as long as I don't screw this up, we're going to win this game. And while it sounds weird to say about your franchise quarterback, who you expect to carry you to victory more often than not, on days like today where you're getting almost 170 rushing yards between your two main ball carriers, actually over 170, and your defense is playing lights out against the run, and you have at one point a three-possession lead, I'm giving Josh Allen credit for some of those situations where he threw the ball away on third down, living with a Tyler Bass field goal. So I would be right there with you on the B minus. He's not going to get my game ball. He's not going to get your game ball. I feel very comfortable in that. But this is the kind of game that we really haven't seen a lot from Josh Allen, where he wasn't the reason they won, but he also wasn't the reason they lost. He was just along for the ride, managed the game, and it was a very comfortable game for him. He had a touchdown. He only had I he had that one play where he scrambles for a long third down conversion, but it was called back on a holding call. And I believe it was on Roger Saffold. I don't remember specifically. That was like the one splash Josh Allen play. The touchdown to Diggs was really just a beautiful play design. Um, but really, I'm really comfortable with what we saw from Josh Allen, because if you think about it from a golf analogy and like high end Josh Allen is the driver, you know, the driver's in the bag. You know, if you have to unlock, carry us to victory, Josh Allen, he has that ability but seeing him be okay with being a passenger today was a step that I think a lot of us needed to see 
after the last two and a half games where really he had way too many interceptions, making himself the league leader there. But honestly, Luca, when we're talking about this offense, we have to talk about the running game. And you did a great job on Built in Buffalo Live this past Friday, pointing out the fact that while the Browns have some big names on defense, they really struggle to stop the run because of some weaknesses they have on their interior defensive line. And that showed up big today. Devin Singletary and James Cook both running for 86 yards apiece. I love Devin Singletary. I do think he's a little bit of a fish out of water in this system, but I think he's a very solid player. So here's what I'll tell you. The Bills made a concentrated effort this offseason to make their offensive line as athletic as possible. And I think they are at their best when they are using a zone blocking philosophy on offense. That is not the strength of Devin Singletary's game. We've learned now over the last two and a half, three years, Devin Singletary is much more comfortable in a, in a pin and pull situation where he has a pulling guard or he can follow um, Reggie Gillum through a hole. You tell him what hole to go to and he's going to find it and he's going to be fine. Where what we saw today out of James Cook, this to me, a light bulb went off in my head where he gets the ball and it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Like everybody's kind of making their hole for you and you can either go left or you can go right, go where the hole is. And when you give James Cook a little bit of daylight, whoo, his speed, you can feel it through the TV screen, Luca. Yeah, this is something that I know you more than I mean. I'm a big James Cook guy, but you were even in the preseason talking all about him. This was the game you finally kind of saw what he can bring if he's in the ground game on top of the pass game and his ability in the open field as soon as he finds that little crack of space to just explode from. And yeah, it's no disrespect to Singletary. I thought Singletary had a very productive day. I thought he did great in himself. I'll honestly say I'm less critical of Singletary in this offense. I just think you get what you get with him is more how I look at it. It's like he's, I don't ever see Singletary as a guy who will give you a day off. I don't see Singletary as a guy who will ever be someone you can't count on. It's just also in the same regard, he's not going to be someone that's going to be explosive for you or create something as well. He's just going to give you what he's a, he's able to give you nothing more, nothing less. It's like, he's one of those guys where you get exactly what you know from, and it's a, it's one of those things that you're happy with, but it's just James Cook now sitting there shows you how you could want more. And it's like, yeah, now James Cook is that, you know, he's got that second gear. He can really turn things up. He can create explosive runs. I mean, he had a 29 yard run today that, I mean, I'm sure you, I wasn't in the room with you, but I'm sure you even maybe even stood up if you weren't on the edge of your seat already. <laughs> and it was just like, that was the run where you're like, this is the guy. Was this that the one old. down the sideline where he steps out? Because the uh, one down the sideline, I thought he was going to score. And then he, his momentum just carried him out of bounds. I don't think the 29-yard run was that one, okay. but that was another good one. Yeah, I don't yeah. think – I can't remember if that was the 29-yard one. I know there was one he had that was pretty dang explosive too that was more in the middle of the field, and then he cut it outside to create more. Maybe that is the one. I don't remember. It's been a few hours now. But um, he was. He was very explosive. He was very useful. This was a game where I'm like, okay – they need to make sure like this is one where you have a one, a one B situation now where it's Singletary and cook and you just kind of throw two different looks at the defense in the first half. And then whichever one seems to be, you know, doing better on the day you kind of go to in the third quarter 
and even in the initial part of the fourth quarter because they're clearly the hot hand. They're the better hand on the day. And look, I'm saying that only because I'm not sitting here expecting that from James Cook every game. It's just something now you have in the bag if you really need to try to unleash it. And hopefully he is on that day because this was one that if he had the entire body of work today, I'm pretty sure he breaks 125 yards on the ground easily. Like if he was the back on the day, yeah, I, w- I would imagine him alone would be over 125. As you said, they were 162 combined between the two. Um, yeah, I, I I would imagine James Cook today with, say, 24 carries, so that's just over double what he had, would be easily over double his production. Well, no, I guess that wouldn't be double his He wouldn't have – maybe he would have had 160 yards. I digress. Um, the ground game today was special, though. It was very, very good, uh, and it didn't need Josh Allen to do anything. That's how awesome it was. The threat of Josh Allen on the ground was not present today. And yet this ground game seemed to get better as the game was going. And that, that is some, honestly, we talked about the defense already and stuff. And I hinted earlier on, there was a lot of things I love from this game that we can build on. The offensive ground game that we just showed is something that I hope to God, every coaching personnel part of the offensive side of the ball and every person in that locker room that touches the ball or is around the ball in the ground game looks at and goes, this is how we can be successful. Yes. As you pointed out, I did mention both the interior defensive line and the linebacking core for this Browns team was not anything special by any stretch of the imagination, but you still got to be successful in yourself before you can actually exploit that from the opposition. And that's something I think this offense up until this point really hasn't done a good job with on the run because there have been other teams this season that we could have run the ball on and we just didn't. The Packers is the game that honestly comes to mind. Like that is a game that should have never even gotten to the point it did in the second half because the Packers defense has been bad against the run. And yet we just chose not to do it for whatever reason, whether it was just because we wanted to abandon it and just keep let, let Josh Allen keep throwing it, or they just weren't running the ball as well as they wanted. I don't know what the situation was. This was a game where it just got better as the game was going, and we just were successful from start to finish realistically. I don't think it was bad in the beginning either. Once you got outside of that, you know, lull period of the first quarter, first quarter plus, um, everything started working on the ground game, especially. I thought, uh, yeah, I don't really even have one offensive lineman to point out as being spectacular. I thought as a collective unit, again, we won the trenches for a reason. The entire unit went out there and just did their job effective. Miles Garrett barely was a name I heard. And when you have that because of a successful ground game, that is a very, very big win for the offensive line and the ground game and the offense as a whole. If Miles Garrett, the number one edge defender in the National Football League, is ineffective and just not even mentioned during the entirety of the game, you won the day. That is what that is, plain and simple. Yeah, Garrett had the one sack on the day, but you're right. For the fact that the Bills did control the game on offense as much as they did, you didn't hear his number called very much at all by the announcers. One thing about James Cook, and you know, I don't want to disrespect Singletary either, but how I envision this running game when this offense is humming, like today they leaned on the running game. The running game was very much the reason why they won, and it's cool that they have that club in their bag. They can do that, but When this offense is humming, playing the money games, if they're going to be successful, I think, in January and February, it's going to be because their passing attack is having an effective day. Josh Allen is running the ball well from the quarterback position, 
And then the 12 to maybe 15 times they hand the ball off, they have a guy in James Cook who can absolutely make a defense pay for overcommitting to stopping the pass or for having their eyes on Josh Allen for a second too long, thinking he's going to take the handoff and take it himself around the corner. And that speed that Cook and then also Naheem Hines brings to it, it just creates such a deadly combination, puts defenses in a bind because with Devin Singletary, if you catch the if you catch the defense off, off guard with a run, he's probably not going to break it to the house. It's probably going to be, for the most part, a 10 to 15 yard mistake if you catch him off guard. Cook and Hines, you make one mistake with them and they are gone. And that is where I envision this offense being. Now, on a day like today, where you lean on the running game, Singletary was good. Cook was good. I love it. But for those zone run principles, I just get super excited thinking about Cook and then even Hines, where he could even fit in there too. Now, we talked about offense. We talked about defense. Um, Diggs had somewhat of a quiet day by his standards. Knox had seven catches today. Really big day there. Tyler Bass. Luca, if this guy played in a dome, would he be an all pro kicker? Uh, probably. Yeah. He's got a hell of a leg on him. <laughs> what a day. This guy, he had six field goals. Good. One of them was 56 yards and it looked like it would have been good from 70. And there was not a point today. Now I'm usually kind of even nervous on field goals. There was a point today where every time he went up to kick a field goal, I almost felt good about leaving the room to go refill my drink. It was, that's how locked in he was today. And what a weapon for a team like the Bills, who when you're having a day where your offense is good but not great, and maybe you're you're not fully humming in the red zone, to just know that every time you get past the 40-yard line, you have three points banked. Tyler Bass is an unsung hero on this team because largely he and Sam Martin, the punter, are, are not needed as much as specialists are on teams that don't have this high-octane offense. But I think, Luca, Tyler Bass has gotten to the point where if a game is on the line and he has to kick a ball, I feel like the Bills are almost a lock to win. And that is such a good place to be because as fun as it is to watch the Bills go out and beat the Steelers 38 to three or run the Titans out of the building, there's going to be close games along the way, particularly the deeper you go in the playoffs. And I feel like the Bills, maybe outside of Baltimore, are going to have an advantage at kicker against whoever they go against. Yeah, I'd put Harrison Butker in there, yeah. even mm-hmm. though he's been having a couple off weeks the previous couple of weeks. We're sitting here recording right now, and he's been drilling them tonight against the Chargers. So, yeah, Tyler Bass is a weapon. Tyler Bass, I mean, he's a kicker. Look, put some respect on kickers' names for the brand. Everyone knows it. Like, respect kickers, and when you have that guy, I feel like if you listen to McAfee or anyone else that just understands the game a little bit more, especially from that world, it's a big weapon to have those people on your team. It's if you want a kind of a nice comparison, I don't think it's this, especially with Tyler Bass, um, just because we named two other kickers. But if anyone plays fantasy out there and you have been paying attention to kind of positional rankings as the year has broken down, pay attention to the tight ends this year. You have Travis Kelsey. And then the next closest to him, I believe, is not even half of his point scored or about half of his point scored. And then below him, I believe still to this point, is Taysom Hill as the third ranked running back, depending on your format. That just shows you how valuable in fantasy Travis Kelsey is above the competition. When you have that weapon, all of a sudden you won that matchup. You can worry about everything else because you have a reliable guy in that slot as a kicker like Tyler Bass. And knowing you're one of the few teams that has that guy of a weapon in your holster, 
you feel good about it if you're in a situation where you're in a matchup where it's tight and close, but you have the upper hand in that world. If you really need to unleash it, you really need them to kind of keep things on track or get ahead of it a little bit. In this case, for today, it was about, or if you're listening yesterday, it was about just keeping within striking distance. Don't let the game get away from you. Tyler Bass, just we need you to hit a field goal here. We need you to hit a field goal there. Just keep us going. And then once we got the lead, it's about maintaining it and just kind of stretching the lead without Cleveland being able to get back into it. And he was he answered the bell every time. It was incredible. It's awesome to have a guy like him. And yeah, I, to go back and double down on it, yes. If he was, say he was Detroit's kicker and was able to play in that stadium, you know, half of the season, or he was Indy's kicker, or I'm trying to think of any other domes off the top of my head, Minnesota's kicker, something like that, that would be a massive weapon for those teams because this, if this guy doesn't have to worry about elements when he's at home in those environments, especially in high-pressure environments, he would be money, I feel like, at least 98% of the time. It almost, by the way, to this point, just a shout-out to non-Bills player, that is what makes Justin Tucker so special. This dude is a probably the best kicker of all time, and he does it in Baltimore, not a dome, and he's just a, like you would think they play in a dome with the stats he puts out there playing in Baltimore. It's just when you have that weapon, in, especially in a dome, it's just money, 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 baby. And yeah, Tyler Bass was money on the day and every – like. Talk about making you feel comfortable in the, your next game. We get to play in that same stadium, and his juju is going to be sky high, and his mojo is going to be great because he's like, I just killed it here four days prior. I don't think I'm going to be running into any issues. Hopefully, fingers crossed, that's where he's going to be at psyche-wise because I don't see why he would be any other way. So we take pride in the fact that we don't blame the refs on this show. We try not to be one of those accounts on Twitter or shows that talks about the refs because I do think – when you look at games as a whole and the league as a whole, yeah, bad calls are going to go against you. But for the most part, it evens out. We're not a conspiracy theory show. We don't think the league is rigged. Luca, today, I was really prepared if the Bills had lost this game to come on and at least say something about the refs because it felt like for a while there were just a lot of calls, big calls going against the Bills. A DeMar Hamlin pass interference call where he does everything the way you would coach it. Um, and then you had the face mask penalty on Naheem Hines by Jadavion Clowney that just went completely uncalled. And then I even thought that Singletary's run down to the two-yard line where they called Reggie Gilliam for a hold, I thought, okay, if you want to call a hold, you can. But to me, that felt more like a you could technically call holding on every play, so we decided to call it on this play, more, more so than an egregious holding penalty. I know we don't want to sit here and harp on the reps too much, but – I really felt like today the refs got in the way, which whether it's for my team or against my team, the last thing I want to do is watch an NFL game and feel like the refs are stealing the show. I will add this to you, um, bringing this up. I didn't actually expect you to bring this up. And I, so yes, the face mask or ear hole grab by Clowney, that was not called. It was pretty clear. And especially being in the backfield or at least back there, like you would think they would pick up on that pretty quick. Of course they didn't. And then also the pass interference one, I was in my living room. Like my buddy Goff was like, no, that's pass interference. They're going to call it because his hands on his back. I'm like, look, he's not turning him. He's not affecting the body of Donovan Peoples Jones at all. He's honestly, it's almost like a grab or I hate saying grab because he really didn't. He just wrapped his arm there, placed his hand there because it's just gauging where you are in relation to the player as you are turned around to play the ball. And as you put it, that is how they coach it. 
I mean, that is how you're supposed to play the ball. And it's just a shame that they flagged it. What I will say is I thought the Gilliam thing was a hold and I was okay with the called. And on top of it, the one false start they called on the Cleveland center in this game to me, other than the DeMar Hamlin PI was the most egregious call I have ever seen. It was literally just him getting into his stance and then doing his little head snap and then snapping the ball. No one else moved. It didn't cause anything else. That is something that every team does. Mm -hmm. Every team. Like, how in the world can these refs look at that and be like, yeah, it's flag. And I'm sitting here getting enraged over that. And it was something that happened against Cleveland. Like, it was just, I will say this. It was a poor performance by the refs. I will agree with you on that. I don't like to blame refs, as you have pointed out. We're not going to sit here and spend a ton of time on it. I also don't believe, as you pointed out, that there's, you know, conspiracies afoot and, you know, the league tries to fix things as best as they can. What I will say is they had a poor game. And honestly, outside of that PI on Hamlin, which I just think is insane to flag, it's kind of a perception flag. They see the hand around the back or the lower back of him and just immediately go to, oh, he grabbed him to twist him or whatever it may be totally ridiculous but that false start on cleveland was an absolute joke like that is procedure of any offensive line especially on the road obviously this was a neutral site kind of road game for the browns but that's something that every team on the road does they all have their own ways to start a snap that was clearly what they were doing on the day and to just flag them for that i i don't understand that one bit so refs i mean Sorry, but not sorry. You had a rough day on the job and you really looked like you were inconsistent and not kind of understanding what was going on. And instead, whenever you were brought up, you made yourself too present in the game where it, now we're calling you out right now, essentially. Like a ref should never be in a position where the fans are calling you out, even though it seems like they get called out all the time. You should never be in a position where you have done so much that now you're being called out afterwards, plain and simple. All right, Luca. Well, let's put a bow on this game with our segment that we go to every week called Game Balls and Game Checks. The way this works is the player that we think was the standout MVP player for the Bills will get our game balls. And then Game Checks is essentially the least valuable player, the Zach Moss Memorial Award, as in this player didn't even deserve to be paid for his performance today in the game, and he should hand in his game check. I will go first and my game ball. It's a tough one. There, there are some good candidates to hear because I'm going first. I'm not going to name off all the ones I'm thinking of. I'm simply going to go with defensive linebacker, Matt Milano. He was all over the field today. The best player on the defense. He had a sack. He had a huge tackle for loss on Chubb when they went to a wildcat play. When the defense was keeping the bills in this game early, when the offense was struggling, Milano was all over the field. It really feels like he is playing by far his best football as a Buffalo Bill this year. After the game, Jordan Phillips and Shaq Lawson even mentioned he should be in the defensive player of the year conversation, should be in the all-pro conversation. Matt Milano has really become, if not the best, one of the absolute best players on the defense. And for his effort today, he gets my game ball. All right, Luca, who gets your game ball in the Bills 31-23 to victory over the Browns today? Yeah, Milano's a good choice. It's it's funny. You're almost pulling my game ball from previous weeks now out. Milano's had a lot of appearances on this, but I digress. Um, just a couple like call outs and stuff. The run game in as, as a whole, whether you wanted to single out running backs, both Singletary and Cook, or just the offensive line, like good job on them. Um, Dawson Knox, what I will say real quick, like 
Finally, he was a reliable kind of safety blanket, and he was our leading receiver on the day. Seven catches on seven targets for 70 yards. It's a lot of sevens. Three sevens is a jackpot, so proud of him. Um, also, Jordan Poyer, thanks for coming back and being the Jordan Poyer we know you are, and the verse seven and oh now with when you play, there's a reason for it. But I would, again, feel so poorly about myself if my game ball didn't go to the interior defensive line specifically, I can say the defensive line, but I really want to shout out Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, Jordan Phillips, and Tim Settle. Because in a game where that was kind of the, that's the deciding place of this game, right? That's where either Cleveland's going to beat you because they're pounding it down your throat with Nick Chubb, thanks to their great offensive line and especially interior offensive line. And that's where kind of they haven't stepped up the way we've wanted to we haven't we haven't seen them defend the run very well, just plain and simple. Let me just put it that way, right? This was a game we needed them to show up and really put a stamp on the game. And not only did they do that, they dominated the game. They honestly dominated it to the point where the Browns are going to be watching that tape, I'm sure, at least in the offensive line room, over and over and over again going, what the hell happened? Why did we get beat? So yeah, those four guys especially, just the interior defensive line as a whole, tip of the cap. You get a game ball, man. Incredible job to just completely neutralize the strength of the Cleveland Browns. And that is single-handedly the reason that the Bills walked out of this with a win. And yeah, they, I can't not give them my game ball. Like that's four game balls, but I'm giving it to them because I mean, I could also include, like I said, the edge defenders and stuff. And you could probably even throw Milano into that because he was part of the run defense as well today. But yeah, it's just the interior defensive line, man. You get my game ball. You were incredible today. Yeah, I think Tyler Bass, Dawson Knox, and then both running backs also could be in conversation for game ball today. With the good, we got to have some bad. And for game checks, unfortunately, my decision is pretty easy today. And it is going to be a theme that I have been talking about on game checks for the last few episodes. And we've been waiting for a couple of receivers to really step up because we've talked about how good Stefan Diggs is but the Bills projected Gabe Davis to be a high-end number two. Davis had a fairly solid day today. There was a drop again, and then there was a really scary onsides kick return that went off his hands that could have made the game very interesting. And then there was a neat play on the sideline where he one-hand catch caught the ball, but he didn't get both feet in bounds. You'd like to see him maybe get both feet down there, maybe use two hands, whatever. Gabe Davis is not getting recognition here. I'm going to go to the Bills wide receiver three because he was an absolute no-show today. Isaiah McKenzie, one target for zero yards. The one time he touched the ball was on the two-point conversion. He didn't get in. I don't think that was his fault. Luca mentioned off the air. That was a Reggie Gillum block issue there. My biggest issue with Isaiah McKenzie and Gabe Davis for the most part, but honestly, it's McKenzie at this point. The Bills are a predominantly three wide receiver team. They live in 11 personnel. And right now they have a third wide receiver who is an absolute non-factor. And you can say, hey, Sometimes the third wide receiver is not going to be involved in the game plan. I can live with that. But my counterpoint to that would be four out of the last five games for the Bills, Isaiah McKenzie has had 12 yards or less. The Bills are getting absolutely nothing out of Isaiah McKenzie. I like Isaiah McKenzie. I thought he was a fun gadget guy when he had to spell Cole Beasley either due to injury or because the Bills had certain things wrapped up and Cole Beasley was out of the game and they played the Dolphins a couple of years ago and he went off. He looked great. 
But I think what we're learning about Isaiah McKenzie this year is he is just not a full-time player. And that is incredibly disappointing. And today was a no-show. If it was a one-off, whatever. I probably wouldn't even call him out for my game check. But the fact that now this is a trend and it's really hard to remember the last time Isaiah McKenzie made an impactful play for this team in a good way, Isaiah McKenzie has to get my game check because at this point in time, he's not even returning kicks. It's Naheem Hines, who, by the way, that guy is exciting when he has the ball in his hand. This is a negative segment, and but I, I would love to see him a little bit more involved in the offense somehow, some way. But every time he touched the ball on a return, it felt like he had a chance to score. But yes, long-winded way of saying Isaiah McKenzie, my game check award, got to be better there. Um, at some point in time, maybe we can talk about this on uh, Built in Buffalo Live coming up on Friday. We'll also have the Lions game to recap on that show, so I don't know what, when will be the right forum to talk about it, but at some point, you got to see what you have in Khalil Shakir. Um, it, they're just not getting enough out of wide receiver three. There's got to be another answer there, and the depth, unfortunately, isn't there with some injuries they have to Crowder and Kumaro. Isaiah McKenzie, my game check. Who gets your game check? Zach Moss Memorial Award, Luca. Mm, let me just say it one more time. The Zach Moss Memorial Award. Um, yeah, the, McKenzie's a good choice. I, I think everything you said there is spot on. What I will say is the individual that's getting my, uh, award for this is it's not entirely his fault, but he had a bad day. Look, he had a bad day, bad, bad, bad day. And I'm not saying we would have been better without him, especially considering the injuries to that position specifically. But when we needed you to kind of more step up, hopefully it just never happened realistically. And when across from you, an individual who can be taken away or at least isolated a little bit more had a day where they had, as you mentioned earlier in the show, 12 targets, eight catches, 113 yards and two tuds. You had a bad day, especially getting mossed on the opening possession when you're not gas tired or anything. And it just, things weren't working out. So Dane Jackson, I know it wasn't probably all your fault and stuff. There was probably a defensive game plan, everything like that. But dude, man, just make one play for us. Just one. And it really felt like that never happened. Maybe I'm forgetting one just because as a collective day, it just was a rough day. Maybe I don't think I am. And yeah, just again, let me just reiterate one more time for the people in the back row. I don't think he's a top 32 corner. I think he's even kind of a, an average at best second corner on any NFL team. But when we need you to kind of step up and be a number one on the day, and it's just like, hey, any other person could have probably done the same job or a similar job to you, and Amari Cooper basically did not care if you were on him, and Jacoby Brissett, look, who had a decent day himself kind of for the most part, and he is a respectable backup in this league. Um and he was able to just target you without any sort of remorse. Yeah, you had a bad day. And you, it, let me just finish it there. Dane Jackson, you're going to be my day, my game check nominee and my Zach Moss Memorial Award uh, winner. But I don't expect him to be on this going forward. I just think it most likely was a one of unfortunate day for him and just, you know, kind of be a goldfish. I love to say. 10 second memory, forget about it, get to the next week. And uh, hopefully you have a better game than this. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And, you know, Dane Jackson, I think he's basically baseline level cornerback. I think he's doing a good job of replacing Levi Wallace. If as long as Dane Jackson is a bill, we're going to always want to be better than having him there. And I think as a depth cornerback, he's ideal. It's just unfortunate with injuries. 
He's been put in a situation where he's had to play quite a bit this year. One guy that I think people might be thinking we should have mentioned was Tyrell Dodson. And I understand that he had a really tough day today. He was, he was late in coverage on several plays. He absolutely whiffed on a tackle on Jacoby Brissett on the first drive. Um, that was kind of embarrassing. But what I will say to that is I have a hard time getting mad at the backup linebacker for looking like a backup. And that's kind of where I'm at. It's he's Tyrell Dodson and he's a backup linebacker. You you can't expect him to be Edmonds or Milano. That's not who he is. It's not fair to him. So when he looks like one of the weak links on defense, that's probably how it's supposed to look. So I'm not going to pile on to him um, for what was a rough day because I would expect with the 11 guys the Bills had on the defense at any certain time, him to be one of the weak links. And he certainly was. The Bills need Edmonds back fairly quickly. They do have A.J. Klein who can maybe take over that third linebacker role here once they get him ramped up. Let's talk about what's coming up next for the Bills, though, Luca, because we have a very quick turnaround. These Bills will be right back on this field in Detroit on Thursday, Thanksgiving, taking on the Detroit Lions, who don't look now are on a three-game winning streak. And, you know, the thing about the Lions is they they have some fun pieces. I'm not a believer in Jared Goff. They play hard for their coach. Their defense is awful. I, I think this is the kind of defense that if the Bills are humming on all cylinders, the Bills could absolutely have a day where they don't punt at all. That's how bad their defense is. But they play hard. They always get up on Thanksgiving. I think this game has the potential to be one of those games that's kind of scary early on. We're not going to like dive deep into a preview here, but the next time Luke and I talk to you on either one of our shows will be after this game. So just quickly, four days out, I think Luca, given everything the Bills dealt with with the snow, with having to leave Buffalo when they thought they had a home game, if they can somehow get two wins in five days under those circumstances, that is a hit it out of the ballpark job by the by the front office and the team and everybody that had their hands in the Bills getting safely to Detroit today. The Bills are favored by 10, so I don't want to make it sound like it's a rocky story that they they somehow are going to beat Apollo Creed on Thursday. They should beat the Lions. I think they will beat the Lions, but winning today was big. And now looking at this Lions team who has started to hit their stride a little bit, how are you? Very confident in this game coming up, Luca. Are, are you nervous about it? What are your initial thoughts here four days out, recognizing the fact that you and I have not taken our deep dive on the Lions that we otherwise would if this was a pregame show? I'm pretty indifferent on it. Like I'm I, I I'm not gonna say I'm not confident, but I'm not overly confident either. It, just spoiler alert, people, or just kind of news flash or something to however you want to say this here. We just held Nick Chubb to no touchdown. I said that in this league, he was the most guaranteed touchdown, it seems like, in the NFL. Don't look now. Your leader in rushing touchdowns is none other than Jamal Williams. That is so wild. Insane. There's a reason for that, though, why. Jamal Williams, if you don't watch Hard Knocks and stuff, is a Dan Campbell guy. And Dan Campbell likes to reward his guys. And he like they have a talent in DeAndre Swift, who also had a pretty productive day today, I believe. I know he got in the end zone once at least. Now they have these two guys that are pretty decent at their jobs. And Jamal Williams is a dude who just grinds you into the dirt and had three tuds alone today on the ground against the Giants. And yes, as you pointed out, they're feeling good about themselves. They're on a three-game win streak. What I will say is this. I like to play bad teams when they're feeling okay about themselves than when 
they're kind of down and feeling desperate just to kind of keep their jobs. So hopefully on a short week, they're going to feel okay. And this is kind of where they can slip up a little bit because they just had a three dub and they don't feel like their jobs are on the line all of a sudden. And now the bills are coming back to town (laughs) and uh, they're going to probably handle their business because they need to show the nation that, hey, we are still that Bills team. And as you put it, in five days, all of a sudden get two wins. And now we're sitting here talking about the eight and three Bills going into the weekend that is week 12 of the NFL season. Um, yeah, I I expect them to win, of course. I think that they should be able to win comfortably. This is one that, as you also just mentioned, they probably shouldn't be punting until late in the game, if at all. Um, hopefully this is the kind of game as again, you've said where Josh Allen has a ball cap on come early fourth quarter. We've handled our business, just have fun, relax on the rest of the game, get through it healthy, go on with our day, right? It would be nice to then go into a just regular week, not a long week because right around the corner from there, we have to go to new England and play the Patriots in a divisional game, which of course, as we all know, divisional games have not gone to plan so far. So. Hopefully the focus is, of course, going to be on Detroit still. You need to handle your business. The league is a tough one to win in, but handle the business and then get to the next week healthy, if not healthier. That's kind of where I'm at with this game. I'm excited. It's a Thanksgiving game. Josh, we all know, as you've mentioned it a couple of times on different shows, you are going. I hope you have a great time. I know of others that will be there. Some of my friends that I sit here and watch the game with will be at that one. Um but I will be enjoying it from a living room somewhere and uh, be with family. I will also say uh, it won't be my entire focus. And I think that's partially due to the comfortable nature I am with this game. And then there's going to be another match on in a different sport that I want to pay attention to as well. But otherwise, back to this. I'm feeling good about it. I don't think there's too much to worry about with the Lions, but they are a good. They're not a good no. team. They're, Take they're, it easy. I know. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be respectful. Like. They're, they're feisty. They're team, yeah, they're feisty, right? They're, they're kind of a team you just can't look past, right? They're a team that you can't just take for granted or whatever. I think that's what happened today in the Meadowlands with them against the Giants. I think the Giants kind of have been riding high, feeling decent about themselves, and may have looked ahead because they have a big match on Thanksgiving themselves. I, I think, it's, yeah, they're playing the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Yeah, I, so, I, you're 100% on that. I think yeah, they, they were, looked ahead, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you had the Lions come into town, and the Lions just pounded them, just absolutely dominated them, it felt like. Even though Danny Dimes had 300 yards in the air, people, that game was coming on red zone a lot, and it wasn't because the Giants were doing much. And even when the Giants got in the end zone, they somehow still could never get extra points or a two-point conversion. It was just one of those days where they clearly were looking ahead, so that's why the Giants were able to just take care of business. And that's the team they are. So as long as the bills don't look ahead and take care of business, this team should not be any sort of threat. Fingers crossed. We get out of Thanksgiving healthy and with a confidently uh, dominant win, I guess is the way I'll put it. That's where my head's at with this game. If you're a Super Bowl contender, if you're the team that we think you are, you don't lose to the Detroit Lions on Thanksgiving. That's where I'm at. I like the fact that the Lions are on a three-game winning streak because there's no ability for the Bills to go into this game overlooking them. I like that too. I do think there is a chance that the Bills were gassed today with everything that happened, and that could have contributed to the slow start. I don't think that'll be the case coming up on Thursday. I think both teams are going to be dealing with the same amount of short rest 
And on these short weeks, particularly Thanksgiving, where the Thursday games are even early in the day, I often think these games are much less about scheme and more about talent. Like who's got more talent? There's not going to be a whole lot of game planning. There's not going to be a whole lot of X's and O's that win the day in these games. I mean, you might see a team run a trick play just because you think back to the Thanksgiving game 2019 where John Brown throws a touchdown pass to Devin Singletary. I mean, sometimes trick plays can work on Thanksgiving because you just have such limited preparation time. But this really comes down to, to borrow a saying, it's not X's and O's, it's Jimmy's and Joe's. And even though we like Swift, we like Jamal Williams, they have some good players on their defense who we're fans of. The Bills, Jimmy's and Joe's are much better than the Lions, Jimmy's and Joe's. And there's a part of me, and I hate to even say this because I thought this after the Packers game and then the Bills went on to lose two in a row. There's a part of me that thinks the Bills having a down passing game today will be what they need to stay focused on Thanksgiving. Now, I don't want to say that there's a risk of them not being focused because that almost sounds like I'm trying to build in an excuse and that's not it. But Allen and Diggs don't have a lot of days where they're not on the same page. And today was one of those days and they still had a touchdown. But I just think there's going to be a real laser focus, particularly if, you know, this Sunday night football score holds and the Chargers somehow can beat the Chiefs where it's it's going into the fourth quarter at time of recording. The Bills at that point in time would would control their own destiny in relation to the Chiefs. And I think they're aware of that, too. Um, So. Get the win, find a way to beat the Lions on Thanksgiving, get to eight and three, get ready for that three game stretch against AFC East teams, and we'll see what happens. All right, Luca, quickly, let's spin it around the league. Um, You mentioned the Giants losing to the Lions. That was maybe the second worst defeat for a New York City team today because, wow, the Jets found a amazing way to lose to the Patriots. And my God, like, we can sympathize with the Jets, right? Like we were beaten down by the Patriots for two decades. We we understand, like obviously the Bills now have cleared that Patriots hurdle in a big way with the playoff win last year. But to be where the Jets are, you feel like, hey, the team's finally on the come and they're in second place in the division and they just beat the Bills the last time they were on the field. Luca, they went out today against the Patriots and scored three points. Their defense, great effort held the Patriots to three points and essentially gave up a punt return touchdown at the buzzer to lose to their arch nemesis, the Patriots. This to me feels like straw that broke the camel's back for this Jets season that I think we were predicting was a little bit of a paper tiger earlier in the year. I feel like this is the beginning of that slide that uh, we were all hoping we're going to, was going to start a couple weeks ago when they played the bills. But this one is just like, okay, that's where the season starts to go downhill. Yeah, um, this seems like a very opportune time to bring this up, Josh, because I haven't even had the luxury of sharing this tweet that I saw uh, right before we went on air. Um, Quote unquote, sources inside the Jets losing locker room told SNY that Zach Wilson was walking around after the game as they quote, like he isn't the problem. This rubbed a few the wrong way, frustrating several others. Yeah, I think that uh, backs what you just said, and this is probably the straw that breaks the camel's back. Um, Did you hear his post-game quote? Like, oh, the, yeah. Well, it, in front of the media. Like, this yeah. is – so I didn't mean to interrupt you, but just to kind of add on to that, 
they on a day where the defense help the defense holds the Patriots to three, save for a punt return touchdown, and the Jets only muster three points. I saw a tweet where the Jets' average yards per play was like six inches per play in the second half. Like that's two point seven seven. Two point seven seven inches in the second <laughs> half. They asked Zach Wilson if the offense let the defense down today, and he gave a one word answer: No. Mind you. Josh Allen, after the Bills lost to the Jets, his first words were, it's hard to win when your quarterback plays like shit. This is not a pump Josh Allen up, but quarterbacks get all the credit when things are great. And when a quarterback doesn't take the blame when things are obviously bad and it's obviously their fault, I totally believe that tweet. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, that he does not impress as far as a leader goes. You did not interrupt. You just added, Josh. I do appreciate (laughs) it. Um, no, it's, this is the game also like not even talking about jets fans and talking about the jets faithful and whatever you want to call those stooges. Um, this is the game, Josh, it's been well-documented that I have been a believer that Zach Wilson can be a guy in this league. I'm done with it. This was, I, (laughs) luckily for us, the bills game got to a point where I have mentioned now earlier in this episode where the ground game was going well and things were clicking and I confidently was starting to watch it with only one eye. The other eye was paying attention to this game. It sounds weird because as Josh just mentioned, it was a three, three game. I'm sure others are also aware of this and a walk off punt return is what it took for the Patriots, not only to win, but cover three and a half points. Thank you. My wallet. First time I mentioned my wallet on the show. Uh, yeah, you're welcome. So what it was just a lackluster performance, especially by the Jets uh, offense, but just as a team, like just as a team collective unit. And it's one that the way they lost is exactly why I think it's kind of finally the time for the regression to a mean for the Jets team. Right. I have a buddy who's, who is in my living room. This He loves to say progression to the mean regression to the mean. Right. Eventually, everyone gets to where they should be, whether they've been overachieving or underachieving. We all know where they stand. The Jets, as talented as their defense is, just did their job and it's not good enough because their offense, unfortunately, is just not it. And it's being led by a guy who clearly does not live in reality, plain and simple. Because if you have the balls to be asked a simple question of, did you let your defense down because you only were able to produce three points, that says no one word answer and probably believe it based on the tweet that I just started this segment with as well. Yeah. That's not the guy you need to understand. If I was Bob Sala, I would be benching him immediately playing Joe Flacco and seeing if the season can be salvaged. Because to me, I don't think it's just a couple guys in that locker room that are pissed off about him at this point. I bet you it's a good half or so maybe not Garrett Wilson or younger offensive guys that don't want to piss off anyone. Maybe Garrett Wilson is because he did have a pretty emotional post game. That was basically saying something needs to change and this ain't it. But he said what you wanted the quarterback to say. Like Garrett Wilson was the guy that stood up and said, this is unacceptable. Yeah. Boy, was I wrong about Garrett Wilson pre-draft? Oh, you and me both buddy. I love this guy now. Yeah. But anyways, um, yeah, just not to get too far on this, but, Boy, uh, it is fun times. You know, they've been talking. National media has been loving the New York storylines. Hey, the both East divisions, both over 500 entirely. Um, it is not a fun time to be in New York media right now after watching both the Jets and especially the Giants. But man, oh, 
I just I just want to say it one more time. Watching that punt return, it was the happiest moment I've ever had for a Patriots, only because I had about 22 units or so, we'll call it, on the line for the Patriots to cover three and a half. And thank you to my modern-day Terrence McGee that somehow found his way on the Patriots for returning that boy to the end zone and covering for me. Shout out you, bud. I love you. <laughs> I'm going to shout out my daughter by giving this reference. I think both New York teams have been somewhat of a Cinderella story, and I think we saw them both turn back into a pumpkin today as the clock she really say that? strikes midnight. Do you not know the Cinderella story? No, I know the Cinderella story. I'm just saying, did she say that today? Like, watching No, no, games? no. I'm just saying oh. like, she's a Cinderella fan, like Disney. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, was she, about to say, no. if she literally was watching those games in your house today oh, and no. then dropped that on you, Josh. I'd have been like, she might be one of the smartest kids I've ever heard of. No, um, she she actually went roller skating. With, or something. <laughs> okay. She went roller skating with her grandma today. Who, by the way, her GJ is listening. Thank you for always listening. Um, anyway, um, I think we have talked about the Jets enough. And honestly, Luca, it's not about the Jets. It's really not about the Patriots. And it probably is at some point going to be about the Dolphins. But all that matters now is the Bills got to seven and three, and hopefully five days from now, they will be eight and three. Here's what's next for us. I am in Detroit, as Lucas said, but we will be driving back, my wife and I, on Friday, just in time for Built in Buffalo Live at nine o'clock on Friday night, as Luca and I go live to talk about the Bills game against Detroit. And that game, or that show on Friday night, which is normally like a pregame, get you ready for the weekend show. We'll have a Bills chat flavor to it where we will actually do our post-game show. We're going to do our game balls and game check segment on that show, and we'll do a lot of what we do on this show on that live show. So if you're not checking us out on Built in Buffalo Live, we would love for you to come over and check us out. We have a lot of fun. It's a good chance for you to interact with us on chat. Well, If you have a good question for us, we'll, we'll bring it up and talk to you. And then we will be back on Monday for bill's chat where we will be getting ready for another thursday night game against the patriots where the bills will start that streak of three afc east games in a row any final thoughts luca before we get out of here i just want to say shout out we are in world cup season go usa if you're listening to this there's a game hope it either has already happened or it's about to happen later today since this comes out on mondays uh, big game against Wales. And then as Josh just mentioned, because it's relevant to this and the only reason I'm bringing this up, Friday will be either a very good time for me or kind of a conflicting time, depending on how the bills and also U.S. England match goes on Black Friday because talk about massive game people. I'm sure everyone can understand U.S. England, a lot to go on there. World Cup time, NFL season's underway. Bills are winning. Things are great, Josh. Things are. This is such a weird time where I'm talking about World Cup and NFL season. Bills are doing well. U.S. has hopes in the World Cup. Oh, great time. Great time. I don't want to take up too much mic time. We got to wrap this sucker up, but very, very excited if you couldn't tell. USA. USA. Hey, even if we don't win on the soccer field, we, we won the matchup that mattered with England, right? <laughs> Hopefully. 1976 uh, yeah. history I, lesson a little yeah. inappropriate i know but hey we won like the scoreboard uh, anyway luca and i'll be back next monday for bill's chat we hope you check us out friday night on uh, built-in buffalo live and also just from us to you from everybody at the built-in buffalo network happy thanksgiving to you and your family we know if you're in the buffalo area you've probably been dealing with some poor weather hopefully you guys are on the tail end of that by the time you're listening to this 
But enjoy this week. Enjoy Thanksgiving with your family. There's obviously more important things out there than the success or failures of the Buffalo Bills. But we can all agree that a Bills win on Thursday will just make that turkey taste just a little bit more delicious. So go Bills. We will see you next week. And until then, we would invite you to keep it locked into the Built in Buffalo Podcast Network as we keep you up to date on all Bills news. For Luca, I am Josh. We will see you next time on Bills Chat.